Hi, everybody. I'm George, and this is the best little horror house in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And today's guest is from across the river, co-host of the Geekery Radio Hour. Kaylin is here. How's it going? Hey, it's going pretty well. How are you guys doing over there in Philly? Doing pretty good, I guess, all things considered. We're really excited to get you in here. We had Doug, your co-host, on to talk about Scream 2, but he unfortunately was one of the recordings that was in the... uh, the old way of recording, but we're we're excited to uh, to get at least you here to talk about Geekery Radio Hour a little bit because he also was on the show before you guys started that. So why don't you tell people a little bit about your show? Okay, we just started. We just recorded our sixth episode, so we're brand spanking new. We are trying our best. The pandemic hit probably after we recorded our second, maybe third episode. So then we had a transition from newly podcasting over to now doing long distance but it's going well it's it's basically centered around his shop doug owns a comic book store in matawan new jersey called the geekery and that's where we got the name and basically much like you we talk about people's favorite comic books we try to do interviews um we also touch on pop culture uh things happening around matawan or in new jersey itself but everything that is geek related we try to incorporate yeah and one thing that i really like about it and it's something that i try and do here is that um i feel like with comics as well as with horror it's very easy to fall into kind of gatekeeping and making it uh feel like oh you need to reach a certain level before you're able to contribute to the conversation <laughs> and i i really try not to do that and i think that the geekery radio hour does a really good job of making it accessible to people who are hardcore comics fans and people who are just dipping their toes into the medium. So I think that that's something that's really important and something that you guys do really well. Oh, thank you so much. We we really do try. I, I stress this so many times in the episodes. I am new to comics. I don't really know much. That's why I started asking questions. And you're absolutely right. It is hard sometimes to break into such niche hobbies. Some people are really like cold about it and it's like it's really hard to know where to start. So with comics and movies itself, I'm trying to we're trying to open it up to a safe space. If you want to ask questions, you want a recommendation, uh, you know, Doug and I got you. So what is what's your experience with horror like? If you're if you're uh, pretty new to to comics, is horror something that you've been into for a while or is this new for you as well? Oh god, uh kind of, not really. I mean, I've I've been watching horror since I was little. It's actually really funny. We used to live behind uh, an old VHS movie store back in the day. Oh, very cool. My first horror movie was Child's Play 2. And I think it was probably like five or six. And my dad let me pick one at random. And I just saw a doll on a cover with like a jack in a box. (laughs) Got that. And then that's kind of how it started. But ever since then, I got into a little bit of horror when I was in high school. And I was very you know, punk and, and, you know, that type of thing. But honestly, horrors, it's not, it's not that it's not my jam, but I like very specific horror. I like horror comedy. Right. It's, it's nice to have for people who have a tougher time with just straight up horror, horror comedies can be a really good way of having something to fall back on in the moments, uh, or at least know that they're coming up in the moments when you're uncomfortable. Yeah. 
So I think that a lot of people really get a lot out of horror comedies and that they're a really great way for people to kind of work their way into the genre on a deeper level. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's interesting because I would even consider the Child's Play franchise to also be horror comedies. I mean, for sure, the amount of one-liners and everything and the focus on Brad Dourif's character of Chucky definitely has some comedic elements to it. So I think that that's really interesting that not only is that how you got in, but it's definitely uh, your through line. Oh, sure. So so is that that's your favorite subgenre then is just uh, horror comedies? Uh, yeah. Do you have, do you have a, a specific oeuvre within that? Because even within horror comedies, there are some pretty different like subgenres. There's uh, like scary movie kind of straight up pastiches. There's stuff that's uh-huh. a little more straight laced in terms of like s- your screams, uh, stuff like that. Well, it's funny that you say that scream actually is happens to be one of my favorite movies. Oh, so there you go. <laughs> so, and I was very jealous that Doug came on and did Scream too. I was like, dang. But like, <laughs> I decided to go with Killer Clowns because it's been so prevalent throughout my life. It was like the first movie when I was a kid that I like watched over and over again. Oh, wow. But as far as the other movies go, I mean, maybe sci-fi. I've always been a big fan of sci-fi. So whenever that gets in put into it as well, I like that. Um, right. That's really it. Like, I, yeah, I don't That's enough. <laughs> I don't like gore whatsoever. That's not my thing. Unnecessary bloodshed, unless it's comic. Right. There's definitely, uh, once you push it to a certain point, it becomes part of the joke instead of just disgusting. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, how do you normally feel about clowns in the circus? I feel fine about it. I know there's this whole thing, or at least in, in my high school growing up, I knew a bunch of people that were terrified of clowns and I never really understood it. Like it's just clown makeup and (laughs) noses and it's what's not to like, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think it part of it is the, just how easy it is for anyone to be under there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I would say that I like the circus. I don't mind clowns. They're not my favorite. I'm never like, oh, sweet, clowns are here. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I also am not like, oh, God, a clown. I need to leave this space. Um, I the exact same way. I really don't have a strong opinion one way or in another. <laughs> like, I don't love them, but I don't, I'm not scared of them. I don't hate them. It's funny, though, because these supposedly horrific clowns, I actually find much more endearing <laughs> Uh, than regular clowns um you know so you you mentioned it uh i'll and i'll i'll say the 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 full spiel here we're talking about the 1988 camp classic uh killer clowns from outer space which was directed written produced and clowns designed by uh, charles steven and edward chiotos and i was all set to make a joke about the band but it turns (laughs) out they're actually named after these three i know that's one of my points i wrote notes in here and i friggin knew it i was like I didn't know it when I was younger watching this movie, but when I revisited when I was older, like post Shield was coming out as a band, I was like, wait, I wonder if this is why that's their name. And it turns out it is their namesake. It sure is. They were originally the Chiodos brothers. And, uh, boy, I, I, you know, it's, it's always kind of funny to me when I'm like, oh, this'll be a good joke. And then it's like, no, it's actually just the truth. (laughs) (laughs) Um, that, uh, that was the case here, but, 
it was a pretty cheap movie. It was a $2 million budget, and it went primarily to the production cost. They pretty much put every penny on, on screen. The clowns and the visual effects were created almost entirely by the filmmakers, so they kept the cost down on that. They had a background in special effects, all three yeah. movies, right? Right. And special effects, I think, are so, so cool. It's something that really fascinates me. I have the Tom Savini book and everything, and I'm always like, boy, learning how to do this would be so cool. But I can't imagine, like, I'm in my tiny little Philly apartment. Like, where do I have the space for this? <laughs> so I'm very, very jealous of these guys. But, uh, you know, it's it's great that it let them create these amazing effects and these really fun practical costumes while still keeping the cost down it's really interesting to see i don't know how often people from special effects background come into direct produce and and you know basically do run everything on a film i don't don't know how often that is but it's very cool to see their perspective yeah yeah yeah, there there have been a few examples of it. I know that Tom Savini did the Night of the Living Dead remake, the 90s one, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Greg Nicotero is the showrunner on the new Creep show. But, you know, it's interesting that even the ones that they wind up working um, more behind the camera itself, those things still have a really big emphasis on practical effects usually and, you know, really have an eye for that sort of thing. So... It's kind of being able to make all of the pieces work together in a way because they have a better understanding of the individual pieces of it. Yeah. Ju- even for 1988, these special effects are wonderful for they're how they are. I think right. they're perfect for the type of movie that they made. Absolutely. And they really set you up with what kind of movie you're getting perfectly right away. I mean, oh, right off the bat. Yeah, you get this great, like, vastness of space with some incredibly creepy, echoey laughs that just speed up and they pitch up and then bang, the logo slams into place, the music starts playing, it's a great tune, just the right amount of rock and carnival, it kind of makes me uh, feel like that Carnival 9 uh, by Emerson, Lake, and Palmer song. (laughs) It's great stuff. That that intro music is perfect, and I don't know if you caught this, but in the first scene, when they go to whatever the name of their makeout point is the top of the world top of the world (laughs) radio uh says it was by the doorman but actually it was actually by a punk band called the dickies wow i didn't know that fun fact there you go the (laughs) bringing in bringing in the true trivia here i had to give them proper credit because that that theme music is just perfect it is it's interesting because they kind of used music from all over the place. Uh, the, the actual score for this movie was done by John Masari, mm-hmm. but they used pieces of music that were like repurposed from other things. I mean, Killer Clown's March, which comes later, was originally written for his high school rock band, Crisis. Oh my God. <laughs> and it's always great when you can get someone who is working on something so important as like the, the music for a movie. Mm. Um, they need to really get what they're doing. And, you know, when he was returning the, the master tapes to the studio, there's a story about how people in the accounting and legal department were talking about how the movie is going to be a complete failure that would die quickly. And he told them that they just didn't get it and that there are people who are going to love this movie. And I was like, you know what? Who's laughing now? Accounting and legal departments. Spot on. I mean, I don't know how um, it did box office wise, but 
they've said it. It's said all over the place that it is a cult classic, this movie. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's exactly what happened is it did poorly. But as time went on, people find it. The, pe- the people who are meant to find this movie do find it. And for what it actually is. Exactly. This is the kind of movie where it, it almost feels like it would have done better if it had just gone straight to VOD. Um, I This was a big thing in the 80s where they were just like, oh, you know, we'll just cut out the middleman. You know, people are so eager to just snap up VHSs that if we can just put it out, people will get it. And I almost think that this movie might have done better that way. <laughs> Maybe. But, uh, do you remember? Do you remember the first like time you saw this movie? Do you remember how you saw it? Honestly, it wasn't all that long ago for me. I uh, was hanging out with some buddies in college, and we were uh, intoxicated. We'll say. And uh, the movie came on, and we just were right. Like it was just a riot. We were laughing so hard. Um, and I mean, that's that's exactly what this movie is meant to do. It's it's a great movie to watch with your friends. It's a great movie to to really just enjoy the silliness of it. Yeah, for sure. When I uh, the first time I saw it, I was very young. I I can't tell you what exact age. But I had to have been like maybe 10 or something like that. And for some reason, it just played on the TV constantly in the early 90s. Right. And that's how I saw it for the first time. And that's how I began to watch it so often is because it was constantly on. And then I refound it, obviously, when I was I actually found it on DVD while I was working one day. And I was like, holy shit. I have to get this. I've seen this movie in years. It's back. You know what? I was not in the least disappointed by seeing Hell it no. ten years later. <laughs> yeah, this is, I think, a movie that you really get a lot out of it on repeat watches. Where being able to know, like, oh, this is the part where uh, you know he shrinks them with these hilarious shadow puppets. Like, un- like knowing what's coming up and letting that anticipation build, I think, only serves to make the movie better. So definitely uh, repeat performances help it out. Oh, for sure. And can we talk about how smart they were? Everything was so inclusive to their whole killer clown theme. Whether it was the popcorn guns or the cotton candy cocoons or the, um, what was it, the balloon animal the dog that was like surfing right. in the woods, right? Like everything was perfect. They really sunk their teeth into this like theme of the movie and just <laughs> went with it and like <laughs> did not give a shit about anything else. Right. Nothing was half assed. It didn't feel like they like they were just like, all right, whatever, just throw in whatever props we had. Like there was thought put into, okay, what what would this clown alien have? Yeah. Um even the little and it's really great and then the puppet was like on the the popcorn guns i don't know if you noticed that every time they shot it you could see the little puppet there (laughs) i did notice it's very funny those puppets are are a fun part of it and i i like a lot of the weapons like they're not only do they feel natural for this clown race but also like they're fun like i i like the the balloon animal dog (laughs) like i think that's a really fun thing I got really sad when the balloon animal dog got ran over <laughs> by the car. <laughs> I don't know Dude, why. I get it. <laughs> I definitely get it. And, you know, you counterbalance this carnival vibe of them with 
the sort of fifties small town vibe of the of whatever of the town that they're in, Crescent Cove. Yeah. Um, it kind of it feels like the town could be from like American Graffiti or the Amer- or the original The Blob. That's funny that you say that because this movie is is compared to The Blob a lot. No, oh, really? I actually didn't know that. More specifically, the first scene, because there's an old man and his dog, and then there's the relationship between the two cops in the town. There's one, like, hard-ass cop, and there's one, like, good guy cop. Right. So. Yeah, there, hey, there you go. Uh, it all, it, it works, too. I mean, I I don't know if they were intending that to be an homage, but it really does capture that feeling. I think they do an homage to quite a few different films. I think when Debbie's in her bathroom... That could be like an American Psycho, or no, I'm sorry, Psycho. <laughs> <laughs> Not American Psycho. Very different, very different movies. <laughs> yeah, I think they they do an homage to quite a few different things. I think they kind of just took bits and pieces of their favorite horror and kind of just incorporated it into this movie. Definitely. And, I mean, there's lots of, of fun little things in it. Uh, it's like sprinkled in throughout where... A lot of just visual gags. I like little things like uh, the kids are drinking beers labeled just beer. (laughs) So we know what it is. Where it's like, they were probably like, okay, uh, this needs to be like a fake beer label. Although they did use Coca-Cola's. I don't know. Whatever it was, they labeled it just beer and it really cracked me up. That was really funny. So it takes place in the town of Crescent Cove and we, we see Mike Tobacco, played by Grant Kramer, and his girlfriend Debbie Stone, Suzanne Snyder. Uh, at the local lover's lane called Top of the World. And this, to me, feels like they did that uh, look around the room for inspiration thing. <laughs> they oh, were naming them. Sure. What could this guy's name be? Mike mm, uh, Tobacco. Yeah, that's it. And uh, his girlfriend, Debbie Rock. No, that's not it. Stone. <laughs> I, but I think that plays into it. I think everything was a joke. Everything was yeah. supposed to be, you know, just as funny as it was meant to be. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And things are interrupted by an ice cream truck with a giant clown head on top. And I really like this fake out. (laughs) You're just like, oh, shit, they're going to like throw the the clowns at us so early. And then, nope, it's just the Terenzi brothers. (laughs) Which by far, I mean, we can agree that they are one character, right? They are the Terenzi brothers. They are Rich and Paul, respectively, but... As one character, the Terenzi brothers, and they're perfect. Right. And, I mean, they were originally a, uh, like, they're already an established L.A. comedy duo. Mm -hmm. And so it it definitely shows that, you know, they have this great chemistry between the two of them. And it feels like like a real relationship between the two of them. It makes them feel like brothers in a way that, you know, you don't always get from just throwing two people together and being like, okay, make you know, be funny. Super well off of each other. Mm-hmm. And so they're selling ice cream out of this uh, this ice cream truck, including fruity bars, icy wicies, fudgy wudgy bars, <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's favorite frozen treat, the lick a stick. And boy, just so funny right off the bat with this fudgy wudgy bars. <laughs> Tell you this. I have two favorite scenes of the, of the whole movie, and this is one of them. And it's because even though the Terenzi brothers play so well off each other, their two counterparts, which are two young ladies that are in the back of the ice cream truck, are horrible actors. <laughs> it is unspeakable how horrible the show is. 
son. And I just want to quote one line because they're giving a stink because the guys want to park and they're like, we're not those type of girls. And one of the Terenzi brothers turns to her and goes, don't worry, keep your shirt on. And she goes, don't worry, we intend to. Like, just like that, though. (laughs) And I lose it every time. I don't know why. (laughs) I think it's so funny, but it cracks me up. No, it's absolutely hilarious. And having this kind of easy dialogue between the two and then having this kind of stilted dialogue uh, in between, it really, it makes this great dynamic between the bunch of them that is uh, absolutely fantastic. The Terenzi brothers are, unfortunately for us, chased off. (laughs) Yeah. And Mike and Debbie are looking up at the stars, and they see a big glowing thing streak across the sky. A few other people see it, too, including nearby farmer Gene Green. This guy is the best. He's my favorite. Every second that he's on, I just find delightful. He thinks that it's Haley's Comet, and he heads into the woods to find the impact site. And he's just so excited about, like, oh, we're going to be rich, Pooh Bear. Like, I can't wait. Uh, it's, it's just fantastic. That was my question. How does one... Is there a market for Haley's Comet? I think it's that he could, like, set up a ticket booth and charge people admission to see it. That I was wondering about that the whole time. Every yeah. time I see it, I'm like, what are you going to do? <laughs> Sell pieces of it? Like, yeah, he's going to chip off a little piece. There you go. <laughs> he, he goes to find it. Mike is also persuaded by Debbie to go looking for it. And his line delivery of okay just cracks me up. The dialogue is purposely written to be like kind of stodgy and and like the 50s, but the way that the main characters of Mike and Debbie deliver these lines, I really feel like they also get the movie that they're making. Oh, for sure. Instead of a comet, Gene Green finds a large structure that looks like a circus tent, but it has these big wires instead of ropes, and when he punches it, it's made of metal. <laughs> <laughs> I love his his first instinct. Instead of just trying to tear the fabric, his first thing, instinct is just to punch it. <laughs> yeah. But wait, is that before or after Pooh Bear disappears? Right. Well, so, yeah, he, he, he goes to punch it because Pooh Bear is captured by these mysterious clownish aliens, the clowns with a K, very, very hip, very going into the 90s. <laughs> And Gene Green is threatening to tear the place apart with his bare hands to find his Pooh Bear. I I think it's very endearing. I'm like, good for you, Gene. He went from like zero to 60 real quick, though. Like the dog disappeared in one second and then he found its bandana and then he loses it. (laughs) Like there's no like dog. Are you anywhere around here? He doesn't search. He just loses it and punches Circus <laughs> Ten. It's man's best friend. So wait, then after that, he actually, I think he, when he says he's going to tear it down with his bare hands, he actually grabs one of the cables mm-hmm. and it electrocutes him. And that's like another point where these special effects are terrible, but perfect at the same time. <laughs> oh yeah. They get the classic, like literal lines of electricity getting drawn onto the screen. <laughs> And that coupled with like that really rough acting, it just it just makes it makes a great scene. Oh, yeah. Uh, And he also gets captured. Bum, bum, bum. Cut to Deputy Dave Hansen, played by John Allen Nelson, who's watching his partner, Deputy Curtis Mooney, played by John Vernon, beat up some college kids. This like I this guy is the perfect love to hate him kind of police guy. 
Officer Mooney is the bigger antagonist than the actual clowns. Oh yeah, absolutely. He's like he's beating these kids up, saying they're scum who's ruining the town, and he's going nuts because of open container, public intoxication, littering. <laughs> God. First of all, I gotta I gotta take a time out and talk about these these punks that he's beating up because they're literal punks from the college next door. The one actually looks like a vampire. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a good look. He's swooping his hair. He's got like white makeup on to make his skin look a lot paler than it actually is. Yeah, yeah, like they're a quite, they're quite a duo. Yeah, he's got like purple lipstick on too. I think. Yes, <laughs> he does. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's making it work though. He's got a, a, a nice goth vibe going and a little cure action maybe. Hell yeah! But yeah, he's uh, he's making it work, and we get to see the dynamic between the two police officers here, where Deputy Mooney is clearly very resentful of Deputy Hanson's time at the officers' academy, and Deputy Hanson is much younger than he is and at the same level, so you know there's obviously some resentment of. Uh, you know, the fancy college boy who came through and uh, thinks he's better than me. So, I uh, think it's very funny because at one point, Officer Mooney asks Dave if he likes these boys, like almost insinuating if that he's a pedophile. But I'm like, bro, aren't these people like basically the same age, like the two punks that were brought in and Dave? Like, yeah, I that scene that was a little weird to me too. I, I thought maybe he was saying like, I think that they're gay, and I'm suspicious that you're gay, too. I don't know. It was weird. There's There, there are some parts of this that maybe don't age perfectly. Like, in the next scene, there's some 80s racism. But, oh, you know... I think I know exactly what scene you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's something that is not great but yeah you understand the context of when it was made it's over before it begins and uh you know you can you can move past it where he's you know pretending to be a a native american chief but mike and debbie they basically decided they're gonna go investigate and they arrive at this clown structure and mike for someone who was so reluctant to go in the first place is awfully eager to get in once they find this place making them the second of two groups who are like hell yeah a circus let's sneak around which not my first instinct yeah those roles swapped really quickly between mike and debbie debbie was gung-ho at first and then she's like absolutely not do not trust this don't want to do this and he's like come on yeah it's i they start off like he's like joking around and everything and i'm like mike i don't know where this came from but uh, you gotta get out of here and this attitude that he has really just cracks me up i mean he walks up to the like this door and he just like looks at the buttons next to it and just starts randomly pushing buttons (laughs) it really really made me laugh and he the door it does work so good for you, Mike. <laughs> he, he they walk into this next room and they find first of all incredible matte painting. Um, the inside of this built uh, room looks incredible because of the the painting work that they did. Oh, for uh, sure. and the lighting too. Yeah, it's this really cool like complex interior with elevators and bizarre rooms and everything. And they find poor Farmer Green gelatinized, encased in a cotton candy-like cocoon, and they get spotted by a clown who does, in fact, shoot popcorn at them from a large gun. (laughs) Hold on, George, I just want to make a point really quickly. At one point when they first enter the tent, 
uh, Mike has this quote where he says that it looks like the tent was decorated by Clowns Are Us. <laughs> and I just wanted to be like, yeah, Mike, because it's a fucking circus. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, what else would you expect it to look like? <laughs> But they are chased out and they flee, <laughs> exit, pursued by clowns. <laughs> and a balloon, they, this is where we get the fun balloon animal dog that comes to life. And one thing that I want to point out in this scene as well is that it happens a couple times, not only in the introduction to them, but in the later scenes as well. They do this really fun, extreme close-ups on the clowns where mm-hmm. from the wide shots, they look all fun and goofy, but they're like really grotesque up close. I, I wanted to say it, it's like most things in the 80s. Like everything was so harsh and ugly in the 80s. <laughs> something that was supposed to be like clowns. So I really appreciate that fact that they like, they made it ugly. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite clown? The little one. Cause yeah, that, that, mine too. <laughs> that coincides with my second favorite scene. Yeah, the, the shape of his head just makes me laugh. <laughs> It's like a upside down teardrop. Yeah, it's it's not quite right. It's just just a, something is a little off. It's too <laughs> wide on the top. <laughs> it really makes me laugh. My favorite for sure. And he's got fun green hair, so that's cool too. And so Mike and Debbie, they do get away barely, and they travel to the police station to the report to report the incident. And we find out that in fact, Deputy Dave is her ex boyfriend, Mooney is positive that this is a prank but dave goes with them and this like weird relationship drama that gets put in between mike and dave it it, like at the very end it feels like something got cut because dave is holding debbie like they're back together at the end of this movie yeah for sure there's definitely a three-way hug that happens yeah yeah. i'm like what is the nature of this thruple happening (laughs) yeah they just decide to be form a polycule (laughs) (laughs) very progressive in the 80s so so good for mike debbie and uh and dave in between them convincing the the police about this we get some hijinks from the clowns including tearing up a pharmacy which is very fun the puppet show where the clown zaps the guy watching it which is also very fun i mean their laughs are just so unsettling during these parts yeah what else is unsettling i know we touched on the puppet show and i don't know how much you want to get into it but can i just say it's unsettling that that like grown young man just like sat there in the (laughs) the puppet show happened like he did a lot of facial work (laughs) first he was like "Eh, whatever it's a puppet show then he was like oh my god this is hysterical and then he unfortunately dies but yeah (laughs) well anyone who's that enthused in a puppet show i'm gonna say uh, if someone's gotta go yeah that guy for sure and one of the clowns literally punches a biker's head off which is very fun that's my favorite uh, scene yeah okay i i did suspect this was the one but it's it's great why don't, so why don't you tell us about it then since oh, it's your favorite so the littlest clown comes up on his little bike first off hold on sorry not to interrupt but wow the littlest clown great this is like a great story time <laughs> The little clown rolls up on his little bicycle, and he rolls up on this biker gang, and this biker gang is trash. I'm sorry to the Shiotos brothers, but I don't think they've ever come across a real biker gang. 
by, but I know it's definitely not this. It's not that, for sure. What's happening (laughs) is not it. So then this one biker comes up and starts heckling the littlest clown. And he's like, can I ride your bike? And the clown's like, no. He doesn't say no, but he shakes his head. And he's like, oh, can I at least start it or something? Honk the horn. (laughs) Oh, honk the horn. Thank you. (laughs) And he takes the bike, the biker, and he trashes it. He throws it on the ground. And uh, all of a sudden, the littlest clown has boxing gloves on. And he starts like doing the boxing dance where he's shuffling his feet. He's act- he turns around. He acts like he's going to punch him. And the biker's just like, what are you going to knock my head off? And straight up, the littlest clown punches <laughs> this biker's head off. It flies into a trash can. Some woman in the background screams. And then you just see this headless corpse crumple to the ground. It is by far the best thing I've ever seen in my life. It's fantastic. It puts the the famous head getting punched off scene in Friday the 13th part 7 to shame. This is way better. I didn't know that existed, but to me nothing else exists besides this scene. <laughs> With merit. It's it's fantastic. The littlest clown, uh, he gets his happy ending, although his bike is still trash. But like I, the bikers did start it. So Oh, for real. This is the one instance of, I'm going to say, self-defense on the clown's part. Oh, for sure. They were being just straight-up jerks. Uh-huh. And Dave, back. so we're back with this group now. Dave majorly abuses his authority as a cop <laughs> to <laughs> force Debbie to go home. I mean, that's the one thing that did age appropriately, the police corruption. <laughs> Between Mooney and Dave, it's just all not great. Yeah. That's right. You you know, you think that uh, Dave is going to be the good one, but it turns out it's just corrupt and corrupter. (laughs) And he's just being a little bitch. No offense. Oh, absolutely. A little bitch. You know, Debbie moved on. She's dating Mike now. Get over it. Yeah. He's, uh, He's definitely salty about it. And so he forces Debbie to go home and he and Mike return to the woods only to find that the circus tent has vanished, leaving a large crater in its place. And... Dave, obviously very eager to uh, to disbelieve Mike, starts taking him into custody. But when they get back to the top of the world, he finds all the cars abandoned, and they're covered in the cotton candy, like, uh, cocoon stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, like, genuinely... I always like these moments when, you know, the, the disbelievers are confronted with the evidence... <laughs> Like it's a it's a very satisfying moment to me in a lot of horror movies, and I think that they do it really well in this one. Oh, for sure. Even with Mooney, which we'll get to, but right. I mean, good lord. Speaking of Mooney, he's getting just inundated with calls from the townspeople reporting incidents of the clown, and he's just dismissing all of them. <laughs> like I know, even from the poor pharmacy guy. Yeah, he's like, oh, they got him too, huh? And like. He's just, just straight up thinks this is like some sort of prank that the Terenzi, bro- which like, can we double back Terenzi brothers? Definitely goofballs, but like master pranksters. No, definitely not. I don't think they're very well liked. I don't think that they could get a whole town to pull a prank on the whatever this is, a sheriff's office or what have you. Yeah, especially not like established businessman. <laughs> It's like a a tiny 80-year-old man just trying to run his pharmacy. It's definitely a willful ignorance on on Mooney's part. But Dave and Mike are like, okay, we need to get back to town and tell him. 
and they witness one of the clowns using some extremely impressive shadow puppets. Oh, yeah. These are very impressive. Uh, he shrinks a group of people by eating them with the shadow T-Rex, which I'm like, damn, it's great. And then he bounces out. And then he's just out. <laughs> exactly. He dumps them in the sack of popcorn, which he also, we find out, uh, are sentient creatures that gobble them up. And then, yeah, Mike tries to force Dave to run him over, and the clown's just like, deuces, I'm out of here. And then Straight he up. And the car. Mm-hmm. Like an idiot. <laughs> it's true. It is very dumb of him, but I did laugh extremely hard at the very relatable delivery of, I freaked out a little bit, okay? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty fair. It, it was like, okay, Mike, you know what? You're in a rough situation. I get it. <laughs> and so Mike and Dave split up. And Dave is going to head to the station to try and reach state police since Mooney is ignoring them. And uh, Mike is going to go after the Terenzi brothers with their ice cream truck so that they can use the intercom to warn people. Pretty good plans, I think. Yeah. Um, this is pretty atypical, I feel like, where people are just like, all right, uh, our plan is friggin' awful. <laughs> this is like, it's funny that in this instance of like a movie that's on this level of camp is like, these are both legitimate good plans. Like, I'm like, all right, good for you. The the clown, one of the clowns with a K, uh, arrives at the station and Mooney goes to arrest it, believing it to be <laughs> another teen prankster. And I, I want to talk about this scene because first of all, he says, I'm supposed to read you your rights, but you're in Mooney's jail and you ain't got no rights. I'm like, that's a mistrial immediately. That's Mooney sass. Second of all, he pushes the clown and his hands come right off. And this moment is genuinely shocking to me. Yeah, I know. That was, it was a little unsettling, but very funny, I thought. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, he pushes this clown into the jail and he tries to bludgeon the clown in the back of the head with his mag light. Like, that's assault with a deadly weapon right there. Yeah. This guy, he's the worst. Mooney's awful. <laughs> I would testify in court against Mooney for one of these clowns with a K. But, okay, so wait. Now we're going to talk about when Dave... Mm -hmm. Yeah, Dave gets back to the station, right? Yep. Because I don't know if you caught that foreshadowing line in the beginning of the movie. I did. It's really great. And I think it does slip past a lot of people. Yeah, he says in the beginning as he's leaving with Mike and Debbie... That, you know, they can make a fool out of you, but they're not going to make a dummy out of me. Yep. Oh, it's perfect. What it, it, it really feels like something that he would say authentically, too. Oh, for sure. Which is key to good foreshadowing. <laughs> and so... Dave does, in fact, return to the station. He finds the two prisoners encased in cocoons. And this scene is very reminiscent of Alien. And I think that one thing that, it, not to show my cards too much in terms of why I think that this movie is so great, but several times in this movie, I thought, wow, this scene reminds me of this other scene in a really great, great movie. And the fact that it's able to capture these while still having this incredibly fun spirit, I think is something that this movie does in a way that not a lot of other movies can do. Oh, agreed, 100%. So we get this great alien scene, and it's very impressive, and the now-escaped clown is using a deceased Mooney as a ventriloquist dummy. Very scary, <laughs> I gotta say, compared to the rest of what's been happening. 
I don't really love dolls. Uh, I've mentioned it before. A lot of a lot of guests have mentioned also having a real uh, distaste for dolls. But the fact that this is the first time we're hearing the alien, the the clowns, be able to really communicate instead of just noises, like communicating English, right? And he says, "Don't worry, Dave. All we want to do is kill you." Can I just bring something up really quickly? I'm thinking the whole time through this movie because. They are coming from some sort of clown planet, but they must be super well-versed in, like, human existence and, like, the ways of the world. Because they show up on doorsteps at one point with a bunch of pizzas. Like, how do they know that pizza get delivered? (laughs) And at one point, they deliver a bouquet of flowers. And the pharmacy, the one clown is just piling up stuff that he's going to purchase. Wow. (laughs) You're right. Like, how do you know all this stuff? They've been observing. Clearly. Just biding their time, waiting to kill uh, whatever cove, Coral Cove or whatever the hell this place was called. (laughs) Crescent Cove, I think. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It's okay. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Something, some alliterative name. And it's very scary stuff. And then Dave shoots the clown several times before popping it in the nose. Blah, blah. It does this really great death scene. Very satisfying. Mm-hmm. They like spins around wildly and explodes. It's like a freaking spectacle, honestly. Yeah. It looks to me like when a sim in the Sims games grows up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, that That's what it reminds me of. But instead um, of like graduating to a bigger thing, it just kind of poofs into like a glitter cloud. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Meanwhile, at Debbie's house, popcorn that was stuck to her clothes from, from the earlier encounter with the clowns uh, mutates into these monsters that attacked her. And this is fun. They kind of grow into these Audrey 2-esque uh, like plants that uh, are snapping at her in the shower. And it's 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 a fun scene. I like that. They come out of the laundry basket, right? Yeah. There, there's like one in the laundry basket. There's like one in the sink, like one on her uh, shirt or something. It's a lot of fun. And she gets away from these little ones. But she there's another group of clowns that arrive. And... Perhaps the most fucked up thing in this movie is that it arrives and perfectly imitates Mike's voice. Oh, yeah. Insanely unsettling. She fends off this first batch of creatures, but when the new ones uh, show up, they trap her in this giant balloon, no problem. What makes the difference between trapping them in cocoons and trapping them in balloons? Like, how do they decide who goes where? Um, I couldn't tell you. I should <laughs> Uh, For the movie's sake, they're like, Debbie's a main character. We're going to put this in a balloon. This is our transport ship. <laughs> but for whatever reason, they put Debbie in this balloon instead of uh, just cocooning her right there. And Mike, Dave, and the Terenzis witness this capture. And they give chase, following the clowns, to an amusement park and the relocated circus tent. Which is like... Oh, where could the clowns be, they say. And then they're like, oh, of course, the amusement park. And it's like the fact that this tiny, tiny town has a, a, an amusement park in it. And that also wasn't their first thought. Insane to me. Again, very confusing with the town size here because it's got a tiny sheriff's department. But it also ha- it has a two-man sheriff's department, as far as we know. Right. So is like a college town. But also, there's like a old man in a cabin in the woods, like very all over the place with this. <laughs> it's all things at once. That's fair. You just don't know who's a town. <laughs> they never give us a population number, and frankly, I wish that they would. 
<laughs> There's an amazing bit of dialogue here where the night watchman of the security or the of the amusement park says, "What are you going to do with those pies, boys?" Oh my god. <laughs> and just the absurd amount of pies. Like this scene for me was perfect, but if I was anyone else watching it and didn't like this movie, it's an absurd amount of time to spend throwing pies on one single no-name character. Right. Like it's like- so long. <laughs> <laughs> he like drowns in pie filling. And then the littlest clown comes up and puts a little cherry on top. Yes, the literal cherry on top. <laughs> oh, it's perfect. And also humiliating that his body like melted under there just from this pie filling. Yes. <laughs> but so the gang arrives and they find this basically like a warning sign stapled to the front of the amusement park. So good on the clowns for letting them know. <laughs> And they go through the fun house, and it leads uh, to the clown's lair. But the Terenzi brothers get separated. And after all of their searching for babes, they meet two female-looking clowns who can actually speak to their gender. Uh, not I, certainly. And much in the way that Gremlins 2 did, I fear that this may spark something for people. Possibly. I, <laughs> I want to point out that when they fall down, one of the Terenzi brothers asks if they're Debbie's roommates. <laughs> and then as he's asking that, the one supposed clown lady, her inflatable boobs just keep inflating. <laughs> and I don't I don't know if they ever stop because they cut away. Right. That was insane. Yeah, it's very funny. And I th- I did like that they paid off that uh, one line be- from, from earlier where in order to convince the Terenzi brothers to come with him to find Debbie, uh, he's like, oh, she's got two roommates with big boobs. <laughs> <laughs> and so the Terenzi brothers need. Yes, exactly. That's that's how you get through to them. And luckily for them, the, you know these lady clowns seem to be into it. And Dave and Mike witness a clown using a crazy straw <laughs> to drink gelatinized townspeople's blood. Another gross. perfect prop. <laughs> it's a perfect prop, but boy, it's gross looking. Oh yeah. Did you did you ever have uh, crazy straws growing up? Hell yeah. I had some too. What a pain in the ass they are. They're so hard to clean. You get blood through them. You could barely get fucking water through them. <laughs> or milk or anything. You wouldn't choose a crazy straw to drink a milkshake. You know what I mean? So why yeah. would you choose this fucking crazy straw to, like, drink somebody's blood? Right. And, they, I mean, it's blood that's been, like, turned into jello at this point. So it's even harder. It's a space crazy straw. <laughs> it's different. <laughs> <laughs> exactly it, it, it has to withstand the vacuum of space so uh you know harsher elements space laws are different they got all different things they're crazy <laughs> straws actually work up there <laughs> dave and mike witness this they're freaked out but they manage to rescue debbie and then flee into this maze full of tricks and traps and stuff and one of the things i really like about this maze is right at the very end they find this little russian nesting doors <laughs> which i think yeah. is just adorable you know what I have to say? The first time that Debbie and Mike go into the tent, and I know this is throwing it back, they enter through one of the doors and they come to like a ledge, almost like Star Wars kind of. And there's this electric ball that's like going off and going crazy. <laughs> I thought that was going to come back in the second half. <laughs> like they were there for so long and I was like, 
shouldn't this play into like how you blow up the tent or <laughs> no, nope they never go back to no they definitely don't it that didn't even occur to me but you're totally right they never touch on it again so. no they don't it's just a cool effect but I, I have to admit, I have to give props to the actors for using the space that they had, which I'm assuming was very small. Oh, yeah. At one point, when Dave and Mike are looking through the cocoons for the bubble or balloon that has Debbie, it's like they're using the same row. And then Mike goes through the, the row and goes to the back of it, and he's looking through the other way. Like, you could clearly tell that they have, like, a closet space of room. <laughs> With props, and that's yeah. they have to like figure out how to make it seem bigger. Yeah, it's a uh, that's that's movie magic right there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's an incredible looking set too. I, on top of you know just lots of fun little things, the whole thing, the production design of it, it's fantastic. Considering the amount of space that they did have, they really make the most of it in a, a way that I definitely want to shout out for sure. And then that classic scene where Mike comes from around the cocoons, and then Dave almost pulls a gun and shoots him in the face. <laughs> Mike has that very delayed reaction where he's surprised. Like, oh, it's classic. <laughs> That's good. And at the end of the day, they find themselves under this massive circus tent, completely surrounded by clowns. And in order to distract these clowns who are all closing in on them, the Terenzi brothers arrive in their ice cream truck. They crash right through the wall and they use the intercom to distract them. And, I mean, just out of nowhere, a gargantuan clown marionette, Jojo the Clownzilla is the official name of him, (laughs) descends from the ceiling, breaks free of his strings, and attacks them. And, like, genuinely, with all the little clowns around and then this guy, it really feels like the T-Rex in the atrium of Jurassic Park. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Even the way that this big one looks, like, he has... T-Rex-esque features, so cool stuff. Well, that's perfect. I, I don't know why he was a marionette. I don't understand <laughs> the, the strings. Like, was he being controlled by the littler clowns, or was he just had to be held there? I, I don't understand, but I don't know. he is quite terrifying, and also played by one of the Shiodos brothers. Yes, Charles, I believe, and this music was actually, for his entrance, was actually composed for the Friday the 13th Part 6 uh, Jason Lives trailer before getting rejected. And so they said, screw it. We're just going to use it for this instead. Love it. Purpose it all. I don't Hell yeah. it. It's great. Yeah. And it totally works here. But it's funny listening to it. And like, I had read that fact beforehand. I was like, oh yeah, I can definitely tell that this could have been over a trailer for that movie. Oh, for sure. Jojo, unfortunately, destroys the ice cream truck, seemingly killing the, the Terenzis. And Dave creates a distraction, allowing Mike and Debbie to escape the structure. And the tent starts to spin and rise up into the air, revealing it as this massive spaceship. And Jojo has grabbed hold of Dave, who uses his police badge to pop the clown's nose. Classic video game weak spot logic, you (laughs) you know? You have to. You got that badge, you got to stab in the nose with it. I take that back. I'm sorry. I said use what you got. But Dave had a fucking gun. Why yeah. shoot him in the nose in the first place? <laughs> Sorry, continue. Yeah, no, absolutely. That you're right. He should have. Jojo explodes, and I guess he was powering the ship. 
the ship itself explodes and and so you know whatever uh, it works and we get this nice happy ending where the uh, the Terenzis pop up again and they were hiding in the freezer all along so that's that's fun the clown car they actually took refuge in it the explosion happened it the clown car fell and then Dave got out and then fucking the Terenzi brothers just pop out with with ice cream <laughs> yeah Take yeah it. they have their freezy pops as a fudgy wudgy bar my bad Oh, if only. If only it was a fudgy-wudgy bar. This is when we get our, our thruple hug here. And the group watches the fireworks created by the exploding ship. And they wonder if this is the end. And then one last gotcha, they get nailed by pies. I was like, hell yeah. Only thought is, why wouldn't those particular pies melt them? You know what I mean? Well, that's in the next scene. We just don't see it. Well, Steven Shioto, the director, and I'm sure along with his brothers, have been trying to get a sequel made since the release of this first movie. Sci-Fi talked about picking up the rights in 2018, I think it was. And I'm saying this like I know all this offhand. I definitely did a bunch of research. (laughs) Sci-Fi said they were going to pick up the rights so they could make a sequel. And that was the kibosh was put on that because apparently the rights belonged to 21st Century Fox. And that was bought out by Disney, and Disney totally put the kibosh on any sequel or that project. I'm shocked. This is my shocked voice. (laughs) Yeah, Disney doesn't like anything that's not really cookie cutter. It is interesting, though, that they have been making a little bit of a comeback in terms of more merch has been coming out for them. So despite the fact that maybe we aren't going to get the sequel we want, it's at least a little easier to find stuff related to the Killer Clowns, which is, you know a nice thing to be able to rep this movie that we love so much. And segueing off of that, Kaylin, we've reached now the point of the show where we sum up for the good people out there what exactly makes this movie the best horror movie ever made? Because we, we've we went through it, we talked about all the fun elements of it and how it's a good time, but let's, let's really put a, a point on it and I'll let you kick us off. Honestly, guys, you should watch this movie because it's perfect. It's perfect in the fact that it's absurd and you don't really have to think too much about anything. So if you really want that piece of media that really is going to allow you just to laugh for a little bit and and just, you know, relish in the absurdity of everything, then this is the movie for you. If I had to do it in a couple words, the Terenzi brothers really make this movie. They are my protagonist, personally. And, um, yeah, they, it's a good time. Yeah, to me, this is the best horror movie ever made because I think that it, it it's a fit for every scenario. If you're someone who really likes horror, there are some genuinely unsettling moments, and you also get to have a fun, lighthearted time at the movies. If you're someone who's not really into horror, it's it has a ton of comedic elements. The scares are relatively light. I think it works for kids who are maybe starting to get into horror as well. You know, there's something for everyone in it. It's a lot of fun. I think that the acting is perfect for what they're going for. It manages to capture a lot of elements from really great other movies, incorporate them into this without feeling derivative. It feels more like homaging than it does stealing. And they managed to put that all in into their own unique property. That's uh, It's just so much fun. And for those reasons, that makes it the best horror movie ever made. Wow. You you surmised it a lot better than I 
<laughs> nonsense. Uh, I think that you, you put a, a great point on it, and I think that your passion for this movie absolutely shines through. And if people want to hear you passionately talk about other stuff, Kaylin, why don't you tell the people where they can find you? We are wherever podcasts are available, the Geekery Radio Hour. You can also follow Doug shop at the Geekery NJ. If you happen to be local to Central Jersey, his shop's Matawan, New Jersey, 133A Main Street. And if you want to hear my dumb musings on Twitter, which nobody does, but if you do, I'm at K-A-E underscore O-H-H-H. There you go. I definitely encourage you guys to not only check out the podcast, which is great, but definitely check out the shop as well. For my plugs, you can find me on Twitter at Gerg Hef. The show is Little Horror PHL on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Give us a rating and a review if you're enjoying the show. If you're listening to this and you're not already subscribed, what are you what are you waiting for? Do that. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, that's it for me. Buy some merch if you want. That's fun. We got good stuff. <laughs> um, as well as Doug and I do. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, you know, at the end of the day, uh, as long as you're listening, that's what I really care about. So thanks to everyone who's out there. And uh, definitely check this movie out. It's a lot of fun. Bye. Bye. Hey.